Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, bowl games in the books. And I just, I got to ask you, what was your favorite ACC bowl win? Probably the same one as yours. Yeah. Uh, file not found is what it's saying on the computer here. <laughs> oh, man, 404 error. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we know a lot about 404 errors on this show, don't we? Hey Oh, boy. <laughs> We're off to a hot start tonight, baby. <laughs> uh, Mike. We gotta we gotta recap some bowl games and uh, yeah, ACC finishes zero and six this year. Gotta love that. Uh, your boy finishes one and five on spread picks. Gotta love that. I don't know what's a more oh, appropriate yeah. ending to the season, but let's just start off like overall from a, a high level perspective. Looking at all these games, the fact that the ACC didn't win a single game, like w- on a scale from like really not that bad, like bad look but whatever to like complete and total abject disaster like where does this fall for you like does this register at all no it's not a big deal first of all i don't really care about conference records and bowl games Mm -hmm. like just to start i don't really care about that but especially this year i mean you look at result by result and we're gonna get into all the specifics of all these games but just like off the top like dear king got seriously injured uh in the cheese it bowl right so miami loses its best offensive player and that's totally irrespective of how Nikosi Perry played. We'll get into his play. He was really good. But they lose their best offensive player early in this game, right? And that totally changes the complexion of one bowl game. You have Sam Hartman getting totally uncharacteristic in his bowl game and just starting to turn the ball over. Tony has four turnovers, which we've seen Sam Hartman throw interceptions before. We generally don't see him play that poorly. Kind of chalk that up as a bad game. Plus, Wake Forest was in that game against Wisconsin in the Mayo Bowl. It wasn't like that they were just blown out. There was a stretch where it got away from them in the second half, but they Mm. were hanging around. Notre Dame's not even really an ACC team, so I can't really count it. (laughs) Um, So we're just going to skip over that one. North Carolina had like half of their offense opt out. You know, Javante Williams was out. Michael Carter was out. Deami Brown was out. You have Chad Surratt, the best defensive player, the signal caller on that side of the football. He was out. North Carolina played a really competitive game with an opportunity to win. The score isn't indicative. You know, that 14-point spread is not indicative of how close that game really was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was a little disappointed with NC State despite the final score, and I was really disappointed with Clemson. But other than that, I thought almost every single one of these games was pretty competitive. And, you know, there were some extenuating circumstances for some of the individual games. So for those of you who are interested in the wins and losses, like I don't – I personally, I don't care what the bowl record is for ACC teams. But if you're one of those people that's like, oh, my God, this is, this is a terrible thing, you look at it result by result, I really don't think it's all that bad. Well, and for those keeping score at home, keep in mind, Mike, five of the six games, the ACC team was the underdog. 
Right. Like, really, there was only one upset here, and it was Clemson getting upset by Ohio State. So, like, right. from that standpoint, the ACC teams weren't supposed to win a lot of these games. So there's that. Now, again, we had questions about the NC State-Kentucky line or, or whatever, but at the, at the end of the day, like, I don't think this is really that big a deal. And, and, and all of this, of course, has to go into the whole 2020 context of, right. like, I mean, does any of it matter? Like, does any of it mean anything? Like, so we and we can kind of excuse it away here or there, but I, I mean, there's definitely got to be some disappointment, I think, in the way that a couple of these teams played, and mm-hmm. uh, and I don't feel like they they really did themselves a service for the way that they had played most of the year to then show up in their bowl game the way that they did. But again, I mean, such a weird season, and and it's kind of mercifully over at this point, like. I don't think there's much of anything you can take from this. I don't think a whole lot less of anybody, you know, macro scale for uh, for how they played. So it is what right. it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I really don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. We're in agreement on that then. Um, so with that all being said, let's let's start looking at some of these games and talk about how they went and, and kind of what was good, what was bad, where the real disasters happened for individual teams and individual performances. Uh, we're going to kind of go in large game to small game order. So this is not really chronological at all, uh, but we are just going to kind of work our way through these from meaningful and, and big and important to uh, less so, we'll say. Yes. It also confirms that we are not a Wake Forest podcast. That is correct. Yeah. We love the Steam and Deeks, but not that much. Joe. Yeah, right. That is correct. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, no shame. Uh, Mike, let's start with the Sugar Bowl. The college football playoff semifinal, this was the evening of January 1st. Um, Ohio State, 49. Clemson, 28. Um, well, I didn't expect to see this coming. I need to say I'm a little bit shocked, and you? I was going to say, totally saw that one coming. It's not like we were just hyping it up. that Clemson would not only win this game in the preview, but we talked about how we were going to be previewing an ACC team in the national championship. We just kind of doubled down. It was like, hey, not only are they going to win, but like we're just going to outright say that we'll be looking forward to previewing Clemson in the national title game next we week. We both we locked up Clemson minus seven. Like It was like, oh, they're going to kill Ohio State here, right? Locked it up. We had double barrel locks there. And Ooh. it looked okay early. Um, teams were trading some scores. Uh, but two overall takeaways here, and th- these are actually – the interesting thing about this is this isn't something that we haven't talked about all year with Clemson. Number one, they had some issues in the trenches on both sides of the football. Badly. And that's something we have discussed a ton this year. Mm-hmm. And there were only a handful of teams that could expose that. Ohio State certainly had the talent to expose those flaws of Clemson. Mm-hmm. And we alluded to that in the preview for this game. But neither you nor I thought that Ohio State would actually do that. I mean, there, there's a difference between you know, a team playing to their capability um, and and a team that has the talent to do so and can never really get over the hump. Ohio State had played six games this year. Wasn't really all that impressed with them in any game that I watched of Ohio State. And this is certainly what they're capable of. This is why people thought that Ohio State uh, obviously was a favorite to win the national championship before all the COVID craziness happened, before all that. Everybody looked at this Ohio State roster and said, this is a team that can absolutely win the whole thing. Yep. People went into the season thinking that. And then, you know, thoughts changed when the Big Ten delayed the year and Ohio State came out and didn't look really as as good as a lot of people predicted. But, I mean, Justin Fields, uh, 385 yards, six touchdowns. He was unbelievable. Um, one interception. 
the, the best game he's played in Ohio State uniform, bar well, none. Well, and consider the circumstance, too, that that was – he spent a majority of the game with likely, I don't know, broken ribs or something yeah. after he took a big, nasty hit in the first half from James Skalski. Skalski on the hit, thrown out for targeting. Whatever you think of, of whether that was a valid ejection or not, it, it was by the letter of the law. Now, right. you might say you disagree with the law, and that's a different discussion entirely, but that was a valid call, and uh, it was part of, I felt like, a, a little bit of a bigger narrative for Clemson's defense in this game. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the takeaway, at least on Twitter, and I've been taking it easy on social media a bit here over the holidays. I'm trying to keep that going mm-hmm. in 2021. We're like, I'm on a couple you. times a day, but I'm not going to just have my life totally consumed by it. Yep. Um, you know, I think the takeaway was like, okay, well, Skalski didn't like hit his head with Fields' head, so how could that be targeting? How could he be ejected? It's like, well, I mean, he speared him. So, you know, whether you agree with it or not, like it's the right call. I, I was on that side of the fence. I was like, you know what? Disagree with the rule, fine. But letter of the law, like you said, Joey, I thought that was the right call. Yep. And Justin Fields, to his credit, comes back in this game and just totally airs it out. I mean, he threw a really impressive long touchdown pass to Chris Olave, I believe it was, um, after just getting obliterated by Skalski. And it was like, oh, my God, like, how is this guy even, like, in this football game right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a really gritty performance by Justin Fields, you know, one of the best performances in Ohio State uniform. Um, it was really, really impressive. Trey Sermon was really good on the ground. Clubs had no answer. Uh, and, and Mike, I do want to stop you there. It was interesting. Uh, for some reason, Nick Saban showed up in the postgame press conference. He had this to say about it. And they run through Uh-oh. our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. I, I, you know, and he put it that way, and I, I don't think I could come up with a better way to say that myself. Yeah, that's, that's really weird. I, I didn't know they, Clemson and Alabama executed a coach swap. That was a little odd. Um, Saban loves his press conferences. You know that. Uh, he certainly loved the uh, <laughs> halftime interview that he had in his game. That was uh, it was. So I the the one macro takeaway for me is that Clemson got really beat up front on both sides of the football. Ohio State offensively just did whatever they wanted. Brent Venables really just I, I don't even want to say like poorly coached because I don't, I don't really know if that's necessarily the case. They just got beat like they got beat up front. Linebackers couldn't cover the skill guys for Ohio state that the defensive backs were getting burned linebackers had trouble with the skill guys out of the backfield is I guess what I meant to say. This was just like a, it was a nightmare for Clemson. They couldn't ever really stop it. Well, and we were, we were talking about it during the game as it was going on. And it was like, there was like a lot of disorganization on that Clemson defense. There were Ohio state receivers running free. There were gaps that were not being filled in the run game. There was a lot of guys that just seemed like they didn't know their assignment, which was kind of odd for a, a Venables defense that seems so well orchestrated all the time. But, like, again, I think maybe one of the things that we kind of pointed to as maybe a cause of it to some degree was, A, Skalski goes out there in the first half, and he doesn't return. That's your middle linebacker again. He's kind of helping to get the front set. And then, B, you were missing Nolan Turner there in the first half. And that was yeah. your senior safety who also helps do a lot to get guys lined up. So I, I wonder if it was that or if it really was, you know, they were just – Ryan Day and, and Ohio State were just a step ahead of him. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it doesn't help when you don't have Skalski and Turner out there. But Ohio State was doing some stuff up front that it doesn't really matter if Skalski and Turner were in the game, in my opinion. There was some stuff up front going on with Clemson's defensive line that we've seen a couple times this year crop up, mm-hmm. uh, most notably against Notre Dame. But we also saw it some against Boston College earlier this year where it was like, okay, Clemson, like – 
what's going on here? Like, why can't you really stop anybody? Um, so that that's problematic for the Tigers. Yeah, the other thing, too, in this game, uh, pretty big takeaway for me, and something that's kind of been the case all year, Clemson has struggled to run the ball consistently, mm-hmm. and they've been able to get away with it in ACC play. They were even able to get away with it um, against Notre Dame, and they actually ran the ball better against Notre Dame, obviously, than they did against Ohio State. But The second time. The second time, not the first time. Definitely not the first time. I was, I was going to say that yet. is that if you look at these this Clemson stat sheet, the box score, it looks eerily similar to that first Notre Dame game where it does. Travis Etienne ten carries for thirty two yards, like the whole team comes away with less than fifty yards and two yards per carry. Trevor yep. Lawrence goes for four hundred yards through the air, two touchdowns and a pick. You know, racking up a ton of passing yards, but just a complete lack of anything on the ground from Clemson here. It's interesting you say that because it did feel like Ohio State implemented the first Notre Dame game plan South Bend and I think what you saw out of Ohio State was that they had the athletes to do the things that Notre Dame wanted to do against Trevor Lawrence in the ACC championship game but couldn't right like the linebackers from Ohio State played much faster in this game against Clemson than Notre Dame did in the ACC championship game against the Tigers where the linebackers weren't necessarily afraid of Trevor Lawrence's running ability because they knew they had the guys get after him right Mm -hmm. and they had help on the back end to clean up anything that was missed that was really apparent they were able to sell out and it worked because they had better athletes than Notre Dame did against Clemson the second time when Lawrence was back in the lineup and there was a lot of repeatable stuff in that in that regard that Ohio State was doing that Clemson quite honestly I think probably should have been a bit more prepared for thinking that Ohio State knew they had the athletes to hang right and looked at this game and said look Notre Dame was able to do this successfully with guys who aren't as good. I mean, Notre Dame's got talented defense, nothing like Ohio State's. Like, they don't have the athletes that we have. Let's try to do the same thing. And it worked. And mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence was under duress the entire night, and his passing numbers look okay. But it was just a performance that was really uneven by the Clemson offense. You can say, okay, Tony Elliott wasn't in the lineup. Okay, fine. Like, he wasn't able to, you know, call plays because he was in COVID protocols, and that's fine. And that's, I'm sure, is a contributing factor. But Ohio State, was doing things in this football game defensively. It doesn't matter who was calling plays, in my opinion. I don't think that's the reason why Clemson lost this game. It was really the defense gets beaten up front, and the offense had no answer, in my opinion, for Ohio State's pass rush and what they were able to do to negate the run, which has been a problem for Clemson all year, regardless of whether Tony Elliott's been calling plays or not. Gosh, and you want to talk about things that piss off a podcaster? when you go through and you record a whole episode and you post it and then like two hours later you get news like that that tony elliott wasn't going to be there that's no kidding same day we recorded this preview uh, it was literally like an hour after the episode went live it was like are you yeah. kidding me right um yeah and, and the other thing that you were talking about there about the way that they were kind of getting after trevor lawrence up front that was something especially as the game wore on uh, you you saw a ton of there on clemson's last two or three possessions was it was like it was like at that point, I mean, they were basically dead to rights. They were down like three, you know, two, three scores, whatever it was. And Ohio State's defense, they were just like, all right, pinning our ears back here. And there were there were two or three times that like Trevor wasn't even able to get to the top of his drop and, and was already having to step up in the pocket and try to dodge these pass rushers that had just run completely around the offensive tackles. Like almost like completely unblocked, like outran the guy to the edge. I mean, it was it is not often again in the last five, six years that we see someone, you know, completely outclass Clemson up front like that. And it was happening on right. both, both lines of scrimmage, uh, offensive line, defensive line, almost all night long. Uh, and it was, yeah. I think that was as, 
I, I don't know. I, I don't know if shocking is the right word because, again, it's not something that we haven't seen any of already this year. Uh, it is something yeah. that there's a little bit of a pattern to. Yeah, and it, and there's youth too, right? There's youth on both sides of the football yeah. in the trenches on the offensive defensive line for Clemson. So I don't think this is going to be a problem that's going to be recurring where Clemson can't hang up front and they got this issue with recruiting in the trenches or anything like that. They got a lot of really good players on both sides of the football. Brian Brissett defensively on on the line is going to be an All-American. He's really good. I mean, they got they got a lot of really good players up front on both sides of the football that are young and haven't played together before. This is not going to be a repeatable thing for Clemson, but this year, this was the weakest, in my opinion, from an experience standpoint, a skill talent standpoint, that Clemson's been on both sides of the football in the trenches in a long time under Dabo Sweeney. And it showed in this game against Ohio State, and it showed in the first Notre Dame game, and something that we kind of alluded to on this podcast, it's just the experience skill just isn't there yet. And it's a lot of young guys who I think will kind of come into their own in the coming years just aren't quite there yet. And in a year where, you know, you need to have those guys up front perform against some really good pass rushing teams, you saw Clemson struggle at times. And they're not – Clemson's very good, and they are an elite team in college football, and they will continue to be that under Dabo Swinney for as long as he's at Clemson. But this is still a flawed – this is a flawed Clemson team. And I think that showed on Saturday. I'm shocked by the outcome of the game. But when you see how they were beat, it was something that, you know, hasn't, you know, issues that haven't eluded Clemson all year, I guess. We've talked about these repeatedly. Yeah. The, sh- the shocking aspect of it really, truly was the fact that Ohio State was able to put it all together in a way that we haven't even really gotten close to seeing them do this year. You know, they, they had really made a habit of playing with their food, playing to the level of their opponents. Uh, they looked like a, a, a largely like a mess playing Northwestern two weeks beforehand in the Big Ten yeah. championship game. I mean, Justin Fields completed like forty three percent of his passes in that game, or something like that. I mean, it was it was all sorts of disjointed. So to watch them come in here again, that first drive they went three and out. It was like, okay, well here we go. And then in the the rest of the first half, it was touchdown, 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 touchdown. Like. I mean, it, it 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 snowballed fast on Clemson. So um, that was kind of the only shock. That was the real shocker, I think, was that Ohio State put it all together. But I think if if you had told me coming in they were going to put it all together, I, I would have been a lot less Clemson, a lot less confident in Clemson than I was. Yeah, it was shock. It wasn't shocking that Ohio State won. I mean, we were surprised because we both hammered Clemson. It wasn't shocking that Ohio State won. It was shocking that they blew Clemson out. Yeah, and that they put it all together. I mean, Ohio State's always been talented. That hasn't been our issue. It's that they hadn't really played to their potential all year. So why would they do it now against a team in Clemson that looked really damn good against Notre Dame in the ACC championship game? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. To kind of go out and kind of lay this egg against an Ohio State team that, quite honestly, I thought Clemson should have beaten. It was surprising, and I I'm shocked. This game was 35-14 at halftime, and with the way Ohio State was playing, I felt like the game was over. And you should never say that when Trevor Lawrence is your quarterback. I get that. But the way the game was trending, there was no way, in my opinion, that Clemson could come back short of Justin Fields imploding or something like that. There There was no way, really, with how the game was going and the flow of the game that Clemson was going to be able to come back once they got down three scores. Yep. Mike, we do need to keep moving here, but I, I have one more question, one more little thing I want to discuss at the end of this. If you had to rate Trevor Lawrence's performance in this game on a, like a 1 through 10 scale, 1 being embarrassing, 10 being nearly flawless, what would you rate him at here? At 5 or a 6. I thought he was I thought he was pretty average. I didn't think he was 
I've seen better Trevor Lawrence games. I think his statistics are probably a bit better than how he played. I don't think he's the reason that Clemson lost the game, yeah. honestly. Um, you know, I, he was under a lot of pressure. The running game didn't help. Uh, you know, I'd say I, I, five. I, I, I was going to say, I was going to go with like a seven, actually. Yeah. Like, I, all things told, I felt like he did, uh, you know, almost as much as he could in a lot of cases. I, I felt like it was, it was more a function of the help that he wasn't getting from teammates, either in pass protection, in run blocking, in receivers getting open, the defense, like, any, you know, I felt like he was almost the least of Clemson's problems in this game. Just to agree. Make that clear. I agree. I mean, he had he had the lost fumble. He threw a pick. So I'm a little more like on the lower side of that. But at the same time, like it, I don't look at this game and say, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is why you lost. Like, I don't feel that way at all. I yeah. mean, I think he was between a rock and a hard place. So I do agree with you there. It's all relative on a number scale. But it's it was a tough performance for Trevor Lawrence. Tough way for him to go out. Yep. Ohio State 49, Clemson 28. Ohio State headed to the national championship game where they will play the Alabama Crimson Tide, Mike, who beat the Notre Dame Fighting Irish by a 31-14 final score. Mm-hmm. Um, Notre Dame covers mm-hmm. by the grace of God <laughs> and a little bit of a bad beat there in the end. Under, but baby. That, Under you know, it, too. Is what it is. Um, yeah, that was one of the five picks that I had incorrect, and I am a little bit salty that I didn't uh, <laughs> didn't get that one correct. So, Mike, we we talked about this game a little bit before we came on, and and I mean, I think the general feeling here is that this score does not really do justice to what a uh, it wasn't really a blowout necessarily, but like this was never really particularly close, and Notre Dame really never particularly threatened to to win the game. Yeah, but all in all. I, I'll say this, like I was pretty impressed with Notre Dame's performance. Um, you know, they, they seemed they struggled early on. Uh, Ian Book looked real jittery, you know, almost too wound up yeah. early. The defense, you know, gave up a couple of quick touchdowns to Alabama early. And then once they settled in, I mean, they I, I thought they held their own and it, they didn't look like they just didn't belong out there by any means. I agree. I, I think that was the consensus. I mean, some people were like, oh, same old Notre Dame. They, you know, they don't belong there yet. You know, okay. A lot of people who are, who I believe are informed, Lauren Brownlow, Alex Kirshner from Moon Crew, you and I, <laughs> who I believe are informed selfishly, we all kind of came away with the same feeling on this. Like, Notre Dame played well enough to be there. It wasn't like, oh my God, this is like, total beatdown mm-hmm. to the point where Notre Dame shouldn't be invited to the playoff ever again. Some people were making that argument on social media. And then I just look at just how this game went and I'm looking at how Notre Dame played. And it's just like, okay, Alabama scores on two consecutive possessions early. It's 14, nothing Notre Dame goes down and they put together a very nice drive, which they needed to, right? Because Notre Dame opens with two punts, Alabama opens with two touchdowns. Notre Dame goes 15 plays, 75 yards in eight minutes and three seconds. And one thing you and I talked about on the podcast uh, when we were previewing this game was that in order for Notre Dame to not get blown out and to make this look semi-competitive, the one way to do it would be to shorten the game. That's what Notre Dame did. Now, they didn't always do it successfully because Alabama's defense at times was able to get off the field a bit more easily. But as this game went along, you saw that Notre Dame, at least they weren't going three and out. They were putting together some competent drives that either stalled out. Alabama forces a turnover. Alabama forces a stop, what have you. But Notre Dame at least looked a bit more functional on offense and looked like they could move the ball. It's not like, oh, my God, this team's not going to cross the 50. It, it never really felt that way. 
Um, this game was 21-7 at halftime. Notre Dame missed a field goal before half. Um, then they open up the second half. They force an Alabama punt, which was huge, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. you force an Alabama punt to start the second half. You get the ball back, and you start moving it a little bit. You pick up a first down. Then Ian Book throws an interception. And Not a at good that interception, moment, by the way. A real bad one. Um, rolling out to his right, throws it into coverage. Uh, not a throw that he has made most of the year. He's been pretty good about keeping the ball out of harm's way. He took a chance. He took the wrong chance, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, so he takes a shot, throws a pick. Um, Alabama goes down and scores. Notre Dame then proceeds to go three and out. Alabama gets a field goal. Well, now it's 31-7. to So you went from 21-7 with the ball, driving a little bit on Alabama, to throwing an interception, giving up a touchdown on the ensuing possession, three and out with a punt, and then Alabama kicks a field goal. And now it goes from 21-7 to 31-7 in a manner of about like six minutes, six or seven minutes. And that's when the game effectively was over. It's garbage time at that point. Right. And look, I never, even at 21-7, I was like, all right, I mean, Notre Dame's not getting embarrassed. That's good. But they have have to either start forcing some turnovers or they need some things to start to go their way. And they need to start converting and scoring touchdowns if they want to have an opportunity. And never really felt like they were ever really close to win this game or even really threatening. But the way I look at it, you know, you don't throw that interception to start the second half. You know, you would force that punt. You don't you don't turn the ball over, have a really bad turnover there. And, and that's where Notre Dame like needs to kind of grow a little bit more. I think the difference and we've talked about it, the difference between this year's Notre Dame team and Notre Dame teams of old is that they didn't have those dogs in the trenches on both sides of the football. They had a couple of guys here and there, but they didn't, ha- they couldn't consistently win in the trenches on both sides of the football to be competitive in a game against an Alabama or a game against Clemson. Right. And I think where Notre Dame now needs to grow is they need to have either a dude at quarterback, like, like a real dude. I mean, Ian Book's a good player, and he had a great career at Notre Dame, one of the best quarterbacks in school history statistically, but you need, like, a guy who you can rely on to, like, make plays like Justin Fields or make plays like Trevor Lawrence. The guy kid and Tyler Buckner coming, he's a five-star quarterback who, you know, might be just what the doctor ordered, but not having that guy hurts. And then, more importantly, the skill talent, and not having that skill talent at receiver really hurts too, right? Like they had to chase Claypool or Will Fuller or someone like that to throw to. And Notre Dame didn't really have that this year. They just had a bunch of like basically big tight ends playing receiver. Mike, I'm, I'm laughing over here because and and I complete. First of all, I completely agree with you. This is exactly where I was going to go with it. Is that the biggest difference here is yeah, you need a a more dynamic quarterback and you need more dynamic playmaking on the outside. Now, where my mind went with it was like, okay, well, we can't all have a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields that were like the top one and two recruits in, in their class, right. like all this stuff. And you know what? Like the guy that I, that obviously comes to mind to me, you know, real immediately is Sam Howell. Like something, right. someone like that. He wasn't even the top player in his class. He was like a mid grade right. four star. Like that's great. But then I started thinking, okay, well, who else in the ACC would it be great if Notre Dame had, you know, that might be able to take them up a step? <laughs> Mike, who am I going to say? Oh God. Who are you going to say? Phil Jerkovic. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> the whole uh, Justin Fields Georgia thing. Yeah, we might be having one of those situations here. Oh in a year man! Or so I don't know. Anyways, we might. But no, I, I completely agree. Yeah, like if, if a, a guy like yeah Phil Dracovic or someone that basically can 
I, I feel like as as good as we saw Ian Book play at a lot of points here in the back half of the season, starting with that first Clemson game, there there was still just like a ceiling there. That it, right. I mean, he's only ever so dynamic, and like he 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 did step his game up, but there's still just an element of his game that's kind of safe. Yes, and, and mistake free, and you almost have to have a guy that's more willing to make those mistakes and willing to take risks more than well, he was. Well, let's. Well, you do if you don't have like dynamic five star skill talent all around you. Now, Notre Dame has really good receiver, really good running backs. They don't have the skill talent at receiver that a team like Alabama has, for example, where you have Jalen Waddle when he's healthy, and you have Devonte Smith, uh, you have John Mechie, you have guys who are absolutely electric at receiver. Mac Jones, for as good as he's been this year for Alabama, completing like 75% of his passes or whatever, he doesn't strike me as like the best quarterback to ever touch the field. Like he's a guy who's really efficient and he can throw it and complete passes to guys who are wide open. And look, if you're Ian Book, right, and Ian Book has done more this year, we've talked about, he's done more in the running game and he's he's got a little Johnny Manziel in him. We made that joke on this podcast. Like he's done stuff. Yeah, um, he's able to make guys miss in the open field, and he's been pretty protective of the football overall this year. Doesn't put it in harm's way a bunch, um, and, and he's he's won more games for Notre Dame this year than he has in recent years, where he's been like a game manager. Well, I mean, if you're Alabama, you're Mac Jones. All you got to be is a game manager, and I'm not trying to slander Mac Jones, but like he's got guys running wide open and mm-hmm. guys who are absolutely electric with the ball in their hands, and Notre Dame has a couple guys like that, but not at receiver. Um, they got big, big tight ends. They got Michael Mayer, you know, guys who can get on the outside and win against a lot of talent in the ACC, but you can't win that way against Alabama with big, strong receivers, right? Uh, you need some speed at some point. Right. They don't even have a guy outside, even like a Chase Claypool, like they had last year and in, in the last couple of years. Like they didn't have that guy this year. And that really hurts against a team like Alabama uh, who can slow you down. So I, Notre Dame, I think, structurally they're they're built in a way they can start to compete um in the playoff up front in the trenches but i think they need those dynamic skill talent guys they're still missing they got you know two really good running backs in kyra williams and chris tyree you can build around them they have sec type speed joey i texted you during the game when i saw chris tyree break that screen pass down the sideline mm-hmm. to score um when notre dame scored their their first touchdown um, and had that really nice drive going. I said, you know what? Chris Tyree is one of the few guys Notre Dame has offensively from a skill talent standpoint that's like Alabama good from the standpoint of like he brings that speed to the table. Yeah, like Notre track Dame speed. Have, right. Notre Dame doesn't have like five guys like that. Alabama has like 10. Mm-hmm. It's like you see the difference there. And that's where I think Notre Dame needs to most grow from this. I don't think they're a team that just absolutely doesn't belong i know that's become a narrative but i think that for the other teams you could have put in that fourth playoff spot i don't think they do as well as notre dame and we'll talk about a&m here in a bit but i don't think notre dame should has anything to really to be ashamed about here no definitely not i think they acquitted themselves very well i think what we saw and i was really impressed with was notre dame honestly was maybe the better team all night in both of the trenches um, Very I, odd to say that, but I don't necessarily disagree. That they might have been better than Alabama on both sides of the ball on the, on the line. Um, you know, Notre Dame was able to execute their game plan to a pretty you know pretty solid extent. You know, they they ran the ball, they kind of milked the clock, they shortened the game. Alabama only had the ball like eight times in this game. If you throw That's out the one play kneel down at the end of the first half, like 
Recipe did not get blown out. Yeah. I mean, they held onto the ball you know, almost 34 minutes time of possession. They got some, you know, 24 first downs, 8 of 16 on third down. Like, they kept the chains moving. They were efficient on offense. They just, you know, they just didn't have the answers on defense. And frankly, I'm not really sure who does for Alabama's right. offense. Um, we thought Smith, maybe Clemson, but probably not. Right. Yeah. Devontae Smith, seven catches for 130 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, you know why he's probably going to win the Heisman? Right. That's why. Right. Like he's good. You know. So right. yeah, it's. We'll we'll have to see. Kind of. I, I. I see more of a path for Alabama to not win the national title after what we saw Man. in the playoff. But I still think Alabama is going to win the national title. So no shame in this. They they played a competitive game. I, I was you know I was reasonably impressed compared to my my expectations here with Notre Dame, and um, yeah, late touchdown to cover backdoor cover. Back yeah. Beat. The. the <laughs> Not if you're an ND plus 19 and a half ticket holder like I was. That's a good beat. Uh, one, last, one last thing I didn't hit on. I, I kind of touched on it briefly. I just want to make sure I hammer this home. I thought Notre Dame overall did a nice job against Alabama's rushing attack. And the highlight was Najee Harris hurtling a defender and going up the sideline. That Holy was a five-star smokes. play. I mean, ridiculous. Five-star run, 53-yard run, whatever. Um, it's one of the prettiest he, hurdles I've ever seen in my life. Like, absolutely yeah. straight up cleared the defender. Right. I mean, he was really good. And, you know, he finishes this game, Joey, with 15 carries for 125 yards, uh, but really had like 14 for 72 and that one really long run. And that was about it. So this wasn't a situation where, you know, he just had this unbelievable, you know, rushing performance. I thought Notre Dame overall did a pretty good job holding him in check. Um, and, and, you know, that was going to be the path, right? You know, you got to pick your poison because if, you know, you bring the house, you find a way to, like, slow down Devontae Smith, and you slow down John Mechie and those guys. Like, Najee Harris is then going to kill you. So, Notre Dame just didn't really have a lot of paths defensively here. Yep. Alabama 31, Notre Dame 14. Let's keep moving here, Mike, to the Orange Bowl. Uh, just about 24 hours ago, we record this on Sunday, January the 3rd. Um, I don't know what day it is anymore. Uh, the Texas A&M Aggies 41, the North Carolina Tar Heels 27. Once again, a score that I don't think really represents how this game actually truly went. Um, North Carolina, for a team that was missing its top two running backs, who are both probably going to be picked in, what, the first three rounds of the draft? And that might be a little bit uh, a little bit conservative. Uh, they were missing Deami Brown, top receiver. They were missing Chaz Surratt, the captain of the defense, all this stuff. North Carolina had a lead in the fourth quarter against a team that was trying to make an argument to go to the playoff over Notre Dame. Like I was impressed. I, I realized they didn't get it done. And I realized I ended up you know, losing by two scores, but like I was impressed with the way that North Carolina played in this game. They hung in. Uh, they had a lot of, of big moments that I, I can't say enough about how well they played. I, I was, uh, I was pretty happy with North Carolina here for, uh, you know, even how the, uh, the, the matchup ended up. Yeah, North Carolina played really well. I, I wanted them to win this game really bad as it kind of continued. First of all, I said on the uh, preview that I was on A&M. Uh, that was, I think A&M was a six or seven point favorite. Seven uh, when we Yeah, seven and a half when we recorded. I was on them there. Then I was on North Carolina with my actual money because I bet on this game the day of, and it got up to UNC plus nine. And I was like, okay, well, at at seven and a half, I'm taking A&M. At nine, you're giving me an extra point and a half. I'm probably taking North Carolina because I think this game's going to be pretty competitive. And uh, it was. It was actually as competitive as I hoped it would be with everybody kind of fully suited up, which was great. It was, you know, one of the last bowl games of the year um, outside the national championship. So 
I wanted this game to be really competitive. It was Kellen Mond was really good for AM. I thought um, played really well. Uh, Devin Deshane, like 12 for 142 touchdowns, obviously had the one that kind of broke the game open there in the fourth quarter that was really impressive, that 76-yard run they had up the sideline. So A&M, I thought, offensively played really well. And North Carolina, defensively, like if you're going to point to, I guess, one thing that's kind of been up and down all year that we've had questions about has been North Carolina's defense. I thought they played well early. I think they got worn out as the game went along. It snowballed on them a bit in the fourth quarter, I think it's fair to say. You know, giving up 24 points in the final quarter is not how you want to finish. But holding A&M's offense down um, to 17 points in that first half, I thought was significant. And, you know, Sam Howell, I thought, played really well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, again, we're talking about all these playmakers outside of Das Newsom, who he really hasn't thrown the ball to a lot this year, handed the ball off to. Um, you have your two top rushers out, Deami Brown's out. Um, so now you got Josh Downs at receiver, you got Daz Newsome, you got Caffrey Brown, who's played a, a bit this year. I mean, he's played a decent amount. But this is just kind of a new cast for Sam Howell. And, uh, you know, a supporting cast he's going to have outside of Daz Newsome, a supporting cast that he's going to have moving forward. So, you know, I, I think overall you're, you're pretty encouraged by Howell's performance and the fact that he can basically just play well no matter who's around him. I mean, yep. that's yep. what everybody assumed, but he confirmed that. He elevates his teammates for sure. He does. Yeah, he does. And he's that kind of guy. And that's never really been a question in our mind. But we were able to kind of see what it's like when he doesn't have that top end skill talent around him, which it's really encouraging. We still put up a really good performance. So, yeah, a really good competitive game. Um, I was pretty upset that North Carolina didn't cover because this was a tie game with three minutes left. (laughs) So the the fact that you know, A&M breaks that long run, then UNC turns it over on downs, then A&M goes down and scores that, you know, I could have just used them running out the clock there because I had the under as well, and Oof. that game went over with the last touchdown and A&M covered, so, you know, no winners here. But, yeah, I mean, really encouraged by North Carolina. They're going to be the favorite in the Coastal next year, I think, because I don't know what the status uh, is going to be if De'Ara King in Miami with his ACL tear. They said he might be ready for training camp, but you know, I, with how North Carolina's looked and how North Carolina took Miami to the woodshed, there's no reason for me to pick against the Tar Heels as a leader in the Coastal next year. Yep. So yeah. even with a lot of talent gone to the NFL, I, I think the future's bright with the offense. I don't think it'll be that big of a deal. Remind me of that in the offseason when I talk about <laughs> North Carolina, Joey, that I should be high on their offense still. But this is a team that I think is going to go as far as their defense takes them, right? Sam Howell's a really important player, but he can only score so many points for you. So the the defense at some point is going to have to make a stop. Well, but I was going to say, I mean, that was kind of the part that I was almost the most impressed with with North Carolina in this game. Like, this is a big, physical, you know, big, nasty offensive line for Texas A&M that had just a ton of experience. Um, They had a really reliable run game all year. And, and if you just look at the numbers, again, as we as we often do, like 35 carries for 225 and five touchdowns, like that that sounds pretty bad. But again, when you consider that 76 of those yards came on one run. Yep, that take that away. One of those touchdowns came at the very end, like, and that was the only way that A&M was scoring the whole game. Like, North Carolina actually held up pretty well against what I thought they might do against this this offense. And, and really, North Carolina's defense has played better here over the back, the back half of the year. They have. To, the, to the point that if we're sitting here acting like, you know, well, they've just got a, a really good offense and a terrible defense, I don't think that really does them justice at this point. No. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out here was that, 
and I, I thought this was wild when I saw this uh, late in the broadcast, was that A&M came into this game having allowed four sacks all year. North Carolina had three sacks in this game that they got yeah. to they got to Kellen Mond. So with no Chester at right, yeah, exactly. So I, I was I was pretty impressed with North Carolina here. I agree with you. They they probably need to be the favorite in the Coastal going into next year. Um, definitely a case where they'll go about as far as Sam Howell can take them, and, and as far mm-hmm. as as the defense can take them. Um, we'll see. I, I I'm I'm kind of surprised still a little bit that Jay Bateman with, you know, kind of where he came from and, and how, uh, I guess how his defense were able to succeed at his previous stop. I'm curious to see if this late season success can carry over in the next year. Right. Um, it does seem like there is some, some pretty young talent that they're currently using on that defense that should be developing and improving going into next year. But, uh, but we'll see. I mean, definitely seems like there is a lot of promise in this new receiving core as well for, for Sam Howell. Yeah, and I, I, I like the way North Carolina played defensively their last two games, right? Like, the Miami game was awesome, and I thought they played well for the majority of this game against A&M. There were some questions, obviously, giving up 53 points to Wake Forest. And, and I, you know, the Notre Dame game, too, especially in the second half, it was like, all right, North Carolina, get off the field on third down. <laughs> like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, you got to get Sam Howell back out there and they just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But you, you see the potential there and there's some young talent on that defense still. And Tony Grimes, I want to talk about him for just a brief moment at cornerback, a, a kid who was a five-star defensive back out of Virginia beach, really talented player um, that North Carolina nabbed. And he made a couple of big plays in this game. He actually almost, almost intercepted a pass from Kellen Mond there in the fourth quarter that I really needed him to catch. Didn't. <laughs> Um, well, gosh, really he, to catch that. he had the play, I think it was earlier in the fourth quarter, maybe in the third, that he blitzed from the boundary side of the field, and Kellen Mond ends up running all the way towards the the opposite sideline, and Grimes runs him all the way down for a sack. I mean, he had to yeah. have run like 45 yards to get that sack, but he ran down Kellen Mond from behind. I thought that was a really impressive play. I was I was blown away by that. Yeah, enjoy him while you have him. That's that's all I'll say about that because he won't be he won't be around long. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, that's all I got in this game. Anything else? Uh, I think we're good. I think so. Uh, well done, North Carolina. You quitted yourself pretty well here. I think all things considered. So, yep. um, of, of of you know how much we would want to consider any of these games a disaster for any of these teams. I feel like even in losses, like this was probably about the closest that you could have gotten to avoiding disaster. Um, Maybe the next one that we'll talk about, but we'll see. Uh, Texas yeah. A&M, 41. North Carolina, 27. I wanted to dunk on A&M so bad, Joey, on social <laughs> media. I want I want North Carolina to win outright so I could just dunk on them so bad. Oh, you want to be in over Notre Dame. You couldn't even beat shorthanded North Carolina. Notre Dame beat them full strength by two touchdowns in Chapel Hill. I wanted to dunk on them so bad. Yep. I, I I know I, I'm right there with you like and yeah. and it's this is me living in the land of Aggies I've got a sister-in-law who's an Aggie like I you know I would love nothing more to dunk on the Aggies but uh unfortunately not an option for uh, for today so oh well yeah yeah Mike you want to talk about home field apparel real quick oh slide that in of course it's the internet's premium uh vintage comfortable good-looking apparel. It is officially licensed with so many schools. Several ACC programs have licensing. Florida State, Pittsburgh, Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, several others. So go check that out. Uh, Mike, again, you got some home-field apparel for Christmas, right? You enjoying it? I did. I did. I I enjoy it. It's soft. It's comfortable. Again, you talk about 
you know, the authentic logos and the vintage logos, they got that. Mm-hmm. They now have a Duke's Mayo Bowl shirt, which we're going to talk about here in a couple minutes, the, the, the bowl game, not the shirt, but we'll talk about the shirt now. Um, the video circulated in the locker room after the game of Wisconsin's quarterback, Graham Mertz, accidentally shattering the Duke's Mayo Bowl trophy, which was made out of crystal at the top. He shattered it, and then they instead taped a Duke's Mayo uh, bottle right? Like an actual mayonnaise bottle to the top of the trophy and they're parading around the locker room with it. Homefield Apparel is raising money for a food bank in Wisconsin by selling these shirts. So go check that out. Go buy that Duke's Mayo Bowl shirt if you enjoyed that bowl game. Use the promo code GOACC at checkout. I don't know if it works for something that's going to charity, but regardless, it's for a good cause and it's a great shirt. So go check that out too. Yeah. Keep in yeah. mind, that's the kind of people that you're working with when you go get apparel from Homefield Apparel is folks that are looking to go out of their way to support charities that way. So I uh, right. definitely appreciate Connor and the gang doing that and supporting this show and uh, really want to find our way to support them back. Right. I know you were being serious, but supporting our podcast in a way is charity. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Especially I, if you're I'm a listener to this. Look yeah. at my pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, especially if you ever listen to this, you're like, oh, my God, how am I sponsoring these It's been people? a rough season at the window, Mike. You know that. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to point out, by the way, Syracuse, also a, a, a licensed group here with uh, Homefield. They got yep. a really sweet Vita the Goat shirt. I don't know what the story is on that. Somebody wants to reach out and tell us. I Look, we, we do the little bit about Pittsburgh. I get that. <laughs> I do not know what Vita the Goat is, honestly. <laughs> yeah, seriously, don't know. Like, the, the Pittsburgh thing is an ongoing bit. This is not. So, if you're a Syracuse fan, please help. Tell me about Vita the Goat. I need to know that. So, yes. Anyways, Mike, as you said, use promo code GOACC at checkout for 20% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. Thank you once again for supporting them, for supporting us, and uh, go, go check them out and go do that. Yep. Mike, Oklahoma State 37, Miami 34. This was the Cheez It Bowl. Uh, where, of course, somebody was going to get a cooler of Cheez-Its dumped on them. Um, unfortunately for others, there were not coolers of uh, condiments, we'll say, dumped on coaches. But, you know, yeah. t- you win some, you lose some. That's right. Mike, I, we can talk about this game, but really probably the first thing we need to talk about is the fact that Derek King goes out of this game uh, in the second quarter here. a uh, Kind of an awkward cut then going into a, a pretty rough hit. Uh, on a on a scramble out to the side, and uh, we've we've learned that he tore his ACL, uh, has had to go in for surgery, and now hopefully will be returning full strength. But I mean, absolutely heartbroken. You know, you gotta you gotta hope the best for the kid that he's able to return and, and be full strength. But you know, for a guy that is as talented and and, and gifted as he is, to have said no, I'm not going to go to the NFL. I'm going to come back to Miami for another year then go and play in a bowl game and to have this happen to him, what could be a fairly devastating injury. And the second one, I believe that he's had in his career here since being in college, man, my heart goes out to him. I I hope he's able to uh, fully recover and come back for the U next year. Yeah, that was a bummer. Um, And again, that was like 48 hours from when he announced his return that he was going to be back with Miami. So that was a real bummer to then see him go out and tear his ACL. Uh, They do seem optimistic that he'll be back by training camp. So he's going to miss some of the summer workouts, obviously, but he should be back by uh, late July, early August is what they were thinking, which is which is good. I mean, that's a seven or eight month recovery time. They feel pretty good about that. Uh, from what I understand, he already had the surgery, so that's good. So already kind of on that road. So, you know, all things are looking up. Uh, I don't think 
that there were any other ligaments torn there. It looked a lot uglier than it actually was. Uh, when it first happened, Joey, you and I were texting back and forth. We're like, oh, my God, that could be, like, multiple ligaments. Real bad. Yeah, real bad. It sounds like it was just the ACL. So that's a really good prognosis when it's just one ligament instead of, like, two or three. I was going to say, it, uh, it could be really bad when you're using phrases like, it was just the ACL. Right. And... <laughs> When you look at the video, you're like, oh, my God. And you and I had the same reaction. Like, this probably isn't good. Like, yeah. It, like, really isn't good. Gosh, and it was just like a play or two later that Cameron Harris went down with what looked some, something fairly serious. And th- thankfully, he yeah. was able to come back in the game. But, man, you just – again, you talk about, like, potential disasters. Like, it's it's not a disaster for Miami to lose this game. It is a disaster – and a different kind of disaster, you know, to, to lose Derek King that way, you're going to lose him for all of your offseason workouts and practices and all that. And then, right. you know, any other potential injuries. I mean, there were a few guys that were beat up in this game for Miami. So, um, yeah, rough to see. Hopefully he's able to make the recovery. We, we've seen some uh, we've seen some pretty significant ACC injuries. And this is going to piss a lot of people off who hate Notre Dame. We're going to we're going to group Notre Dame in uh, Jalen Smith in the Fiesta Bowl. I don't know. I want to say like four or five years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, he had that awkward play in the end zone where he kind of came up limp and like he blew out multiple ligaments in his knee. And was that was say. really bad. And he was like um, the number four overall prospect in the draft. Like he was going to yeah. go like top five almost for sure. And right. then had a potential career ending injury. Like, oh yeah. And then now he turns it, you know, he's a pro bowl player for the Cowboys. So he, he got back to being what everybody thought he would be um, when they were scouting him back when he was at Notre Dame. Uh, so he's a really good player for the Cowboys now, and it all worked out, and he healed up, and that was fine. But you see why people opt out of bowl games, right? Like you yep. see why these players are like, "No, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm I'm moving on to the NFL." Especially guys who are you know first or second round picks. I don't really understand the late round picks, but you know everybody's just trying to make it, so it's it's all good. Right. So that was that was a bummer. But I thought Nikozy Perry when he came in, he played pretty well, and even Dr. King before he got hurt. I, I don't want to completely just lose sight of how well he played when he was in. Um, Eight carries for 18 yards, 10 of 13, 113, and a touchdown. He looked good early, and I got to give Miami just a lot of credit off the top. I know they lost this game, but to lose to Eric King in the second quarter and then to have Nikosi Perry come in, first of all, up to the task and ready for the challenge, and credit Nikosi Perry for that because he just up and loses his starting job this year to De'Ara King who transfers in. He doesn't leave. He just, you know, keeps getting better and, and you know, keeps developing as a quarterback and, he comes in this game, throws for 228 yards and two touchdowns when called upon. I mean, that's big time, Joey. <laughs> to say the least, I was I was amazingly amazingly impressed uh, with with this Miami team, and and it's part of this too is keep in mind like Miami's recent history in bowl games is far from illustrious. We'll say, I think this is yes. something like they're like one and eleven in their last twelve or something like that. I mean, it's it's been a mess going to bowl yeah. games for Miami, and to get down in this game twenty one to nothing. I mean, how easy would it have been for them to just absolutely pack it in and say, you know what, forget it. Like, I don't need this, you know, another year, another bowl game, whatever, like we're going home. They get a little bit going on offense. They they score a touchdown, then they get into the red zone, and then they watch their quarterback, I mean, fight off the cart so that he could walk his way into the into the locker room to be diagnosed yeah. with, you know, a, a season-ending injury like that. Yep. At that point, to pack it in and say, all right, well, forget it, like – you know, totally take the wind out of the sails, all that. The way that Miami was able to fight back in this game, despite everything that happened in the first probably 25 minutes-ish, I would say, 
I, I was incredibly impressed by. That is a level of mental fortitude that we have not seen from Miami teams in recent years, and that yep. that's the kind of thing that might signal to me a little bit of a what I'll call a semi-permanent change, you know, in, in in this Manny Diaz program. Yeah, that's that's something that stood out to me as well. When you don't pack it in, when you could just roll over, and again, when De'Ara King left the game, Miami was down multiple scores. I mean, this game did not start out well, even when De'Ara King was playing. And, you know, he leaves the game, and that's when you storm back. I mean, give this team a lot of credit. No mm-hmm. quit in them. Um, defensively, I want to give Blake Baker some credit for a second here because Miami's last performance prior to this bowl game against North Carolina was atrocious, right? They give up almost 800 yards of offense, a ton of point, a metric ton of points, you know, 62 points to North Carolina absolutely embarrassed people questioning you know your will to play the game and all this other stuff they come out defensively in this game against oklahoma state's rushing attack you remember north carolina ran all over miami in that game yep miami comes out in this game against even without chuba hubbard a a decent oklahoma state rushing attack and to be honest pretty much shuts it down i mean spencer sanders had to do a lot of this on his own now i will say that Oklahoma State, for all the issues they had running the football, Spencer Sanders had a really nice day through the air. He threw four touchdown passes, 300 yards through the air. But running the football, I thought Miami was more willing and able to stop Oklahoma State. Now, does Oklahoma State have the, a better backfield overall than North Carolina? No. I mean, Chuba Hubbard's really good, but he wasn't in this game. Um, and this isn't a great stable of running backs behind Hubbard. But it was a better and more willing performance by the Miami defense because it wouldn't have mattered in that North Carolina game who the Tar Heels threw out there, Carter, Williams, anybody else. Uh, they were going to run all over Miami's defense, and I thought it was a much better effort a few weeks removed um, from that blowout loss. So that's, again, another encouraging sign when you take a blowout loss, a game where you're absolutely embarrassed, you come out in the bowl game, you play more capable, more willing defensively, and then to just kind of storm back and play this game really competitively because this game got real tight in the second half. And Miami, I thought early, I was like, they're toast. And then in the second half, I was like, wait, they might actually just come back and win this game and prove Joey and I right. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I thought it was overall a solid performance by Miami. That's my macro takeaway from it because you lose this game 37 to 34. Some things didn't necessarily go your way down the stretch. But I thought overall given what Miami had to go through in this game, my big takeaway and the takeaway that all Miami fans I'm sure are having after this game is this is something to build off of. Mm -hmm. Like this is a performance to build off of ships were stacked against you and you didn't quit. And that's, this is a team that absolutely would have quit in years past. Yep. Absolute credit to Miami for that. And like you said, the defense, I mean, to to put up the showing that they did against a a pretty functional, you know, an Oklahoma State team that loves to run the ball, actually, surprisingly. You know, a couple years ago, again, they would throw 70 passes a game and feel okay about that. This year, not so much. You know, this is more of a run-heavy offense, and and to defend them the way they did coming off the previous rushing performance, really impressive. Mike, I think maybe the most impressive thing about this game for Miami, for me, holy crap, Nikosi Perry played his ass off. He did. It's like you said, I mean, he... He not only, you know, for all he's been through this year and all this, but just objectively, you know, the last time that you and I saw Nikosi Perry taking live snaps in game action and what he looked like and and especially from a passing standpoint, I mean, he was inaccurate. He, the timing was off. He, he made bad decisions with the ball in this game. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, the, the stat line looks pretty good, and it would look a whole lot better if he was getting a little more help from his receivers. I mean, there were a few. No kidding. There were a few pretty bad drops in this game. And even with those, Nikosi Perry's stat line looks pretty good. Um, he was throwing yeah. the ball down the field accurately, it was on time. He was making good reads, he was contributing in the run game. I mean, there was all sorts of good things to say here about Nikosi Perry, which is a, a pretty big change of uh, <laughs> change of tone from what we've done here in the last couple of years when he's been in the games. Yeah, um, I, you know, Mike Mike Harley had a bad fumble too. Like there there were some things that really just didn't go Miami's way here. Yep. In that regard, even with as well as Nikosi Perry played, and I think you credit Rhett Lashley obviously for the improvement of the quarterbacks throughout the year. I mean, D.R. King, even from start to finish this year, has got continuously gotten better. Question about D.R. King going into the year was how would he be as a downfield passer? He answered those questions pretty early on. Credit Wright Lashley for putting him in position to succeed and credit him for having the game plan for Nikosi Perry ready to go and being confident in Perry to execute it because he didn't shy away, right? And North and Miami was not in a position where they could just kind of just run the football and try to score that way. I mean, Perry threw the ball 34 times. They got confidence. He can complete some passes. Yep. Absolutely. Um, And I I thought he played well. I'm I'm with you. I thought he played well. And Miami had the ball at the end with a chance to win. It didn't work out. They got to midfield against Oklahoma state and um, you know, fourth and nine play doesn't go their way at the end, but Miami with the ball with a chance to win after everything that went through in this game, it's, you know, if you're a Miami fan, they're, they're always going to nitpick, and that's a tough fan base, and I get it, and they're real passionate. But if you come away from this game anything but impressed with how this team responded when chips were stacked against them and adversity was being thrown their way, I, I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> this is a real, this is a team that can build off of this moving forward. And it's not something we've seen consistently out of this program in a while. So to see the way that they played, not only in this particular game, but coming off of that loss in North Carolina at the end of the year, I think it's really impressive. Yeah. I, I cannot overstate how shocked I was. Again, as as big as they got down early, I was just fully preparing myself and expecting to see the body language completely change on defense and just, you know, well, all right, well, forget it. We're going home. Screw this. And they didn't do that. And that's just <laughs> maybe that's not that high of a bar to clear here, Mike, but that's just, it's kind of where we've been in the, in recent years with Miami. Um, I, I did think yeah. that cam did a really good recap of this game on state of the uh, it, They're what they call the good, the bad and the ugly. Yep. Um, that's a feature that I, I do love to pop in and read from time to time. And they do a really good job of kind of nitpicking a lot of things, but kind of getting into things that went particularly well and things that need to get better. Um, I don't mean to say that this was like a a perfect performance for Miami by any stretch. Like there were definitely some issues here in this game kind of on both sides of the ball. But again, it's just it it is the way that they responded. And, you know, this is a relatively meaningless game and a team that they'll never play again, you know, for for a while. Just, yeah, the way they handled it, I was really impressed by. So, yeah, that's all I'll say. Stuff to build off of. Yep. Oklahoma State 37, Miami 34. Uh, Two more here, Mike. The Gator Bowl. Kentucky Wildcats 23, NC State 21. Uh, this was not great for NC State. This was a bit what of a mess. Hell? Yeah, NC State. What the hell? Yeah, what the hell was this? <laughs> what the hell? Uh, NC State, we'll, we'll start here. NC State had the ball 11 times in this game on offense. Five of yeah. them ended in turnovers or missed field goals. Like Really, ouch. really poor. Just terrible. Um, I... <sighs> We can get into the, the the full game recap. Can we talk about the first half for NC State on a drive by drive basis? Oh, do we have to? Well, we're going to. 
I'm not saying it's a plays. bad idea. I just I, reliving it is going to be a little bit rough. Is all I'm saying. Yes. Uh, first of all, before I totally slander NC State's performance, good teams win, great teams cover. So, <laughs> NC State, you're a great team. Ooh, you're a great back. team, baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> four plays, 14 yards interception. Four plays, seven yards punt. Six plays, 19 yards punt. 14 plays, 52 yards. Five minute drive, missed field goal. One play, five yards and a half. That doesn't really count. That's a kneel down. You want to talk about a um, real kick in the balls? Was that 14-play, 52-yard, five-minute drive with a missed field goal at the end? Like, yeah, oh it, was important. it was important to add the time of possession in there. Um, this was 13 nothing. Uh, this was 13 nothing at the break. Nothing NC State did offensively. It was all that awe-inspiring. I didn't think Bailey Hawkman played particularly well in the first half. Um NC State really just couldn't get anything going offensively. Kentucky's defense, I thought, was overwhelming them a bit. They couldn't run the ball the whole game. Yeah, it was just really, really odd. The the entire game was just super strange. And the score, it was it was really funny because it was thirteen to nothing in the third quarter. NC State scores to make it thirteen to seven towards the end of the third quarter. And I still didn't really feel like NC State was in the game. It was very strange. It felt like a two-score game. The entire time, yeah. And when NC State's down 13 to nothing, I'm like, oh, my God, they are getting stopped. <laughs> and it's it's pretty funny because it was almost like I felt that way with the Notre Dame game a bit, too. It's mm-hmm. like, man, they're playing fine in a way that they're like not going to get blown out, but they kind of are getting blown out. Like they can't really move the ball. Like they're not really doing anything functional. It was like a worse Notre Dame performance. Almost. It was odd. And they didn't run the ball well. And Kentucky ran it really well. And Terry Wilson is not very good throwing the ball. And that was again, pretty apparent in this game. And I thought NC state's defense, it fits and starts, you know, I, I thought it was okay at some points, not great in others. Uh, but you know, you give up, uh, you know, 281 yards on the ground. That's not a winning formula. And Bailey Hawkman just continuously gifting them the football obviously didn't help. He threw three picks um, and he's lucky he recovered the one fumble that he had. So it just wasn't, it wasn't good for NC State. I was pretty disappointed with the performance, even though the score looks a lot closer than this game was. NC State was never really a threat to win this football game. Yeah. Uh, Kentucky comes away with this game uh, with 34 minutes of possession over that. Um, yep. You mentioned the first half, NC State struggling on offense. They finished the first half with 29 plays for 92 yards. So just a shade over three yards per play. Yep. That's not good. Uh, no. Yeah, Kentucky, you, well, we mentioned NC State struggled to run the ball through this whole game. Kentucky kind of didn't. <laughs> they just kind of, uh, something. There, there was a Saban quote there. I can't really remember what it was, but uh, I, I think something about, you know, running right through them. Uh, 48 carries for 281 and two touchdowns there in the game for Kentucky. Um, yeah, this was this was a weird game though. It was a weird, just strange game. Um, yeah, not a great performance from from a lot of anybody for NC State. I really didn't feel like. I mean, they they made a run at it at the end. Uh, they had a chance to uh, they they had a chance to kick an onside kick and and hopefully uh, run down for a field goal and and try to win the game. Uh, after scoring a late touchdown, but it was kind of a too little, too late situation. I mean, it really didn't help. Like, if, if you look at it in the second half, like, NC State actually started to move the ball at, at, yeah. know, somewhat consistently. But, gosh, when your drive chart is missed field goal, touchdown, punt, interception, touchdown, interception, touchdown, like, 
you just gave away three drives. You know, you came away with no points on three drives on a missed field goal and two interceptions. And by the way, Mike, both of those interceptions, first play of the drive. Yeah, killers. gave the ball right back. Like, you can't do that. No, you can't. I was just really disappointed with that. There were just too many empty possessions. And even when NC State got moving, they'd just shoot themselves in the foot with a missed field goal or, you know, the the interception in the first half was – you know, four plays, 14 yards and a pick on the first drive of the game. It's like, all right, that's not how you want to start it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the 52-yard, you know, you have the 14-play, 52-yard, five-minute drive in the second quarter, and you miss a field goal. Then you miss a field goal to start the third quarter. You know, there was just, they never really got any sort of momentum. I mean, you make even one of those field goals and you win this game, but it never really felt like they were all that close. And I was probably more excited than most with that late NC State touchdown for spread reasons, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. But if you're an NC State fan, it's just, oh, my God, so many missed opportunities, and you have to be disappointed with this performance. But overall, 8-4, and four, still a good season. It didn't. This game was just a story of NC State not playing their best game. Um, I don't think it was a preparation thing. I think they were in... I think they were well prepared. I, I think they adjusted well defensively as the game went on. And I don't think this was a coaching thing. So if you're looking for a reason to get rid of Dave Doran after an eight win season or something, I don't know if there are any any of those people out there, but yeah, this wasn't a coaching thing. This was like a, oh my God, Bailey Hawkman, stop throwing it into coverage. What are you doing? Oh my God, please find me a field goal kicker. Yeah. Like it was that kind of game for NC State. The only thing I'll I'll, I'll mention as well, I mean, this was this was one of the worst performances of the season we've seen from NC State, and it was it was a little bit shocking from that regard. Um, I, I wasn't really expecting like I, we they've they've played a lot better for most of this year, so I, I was surprised to see them play the way that they did. But keep in mind, Mike, like this is the first game that they've played since they beat Georgia Tech on December the fifth. Yeah, so it was almost a complete full month between games that they played. So to have to come back after that long of a layoff and and play in a kind of meaningless bowl game against a a team that's kind of feisty on defense and likes to run the ball and all that. Like I, I can kind of see how you're just maybe not fully up for the game or fully ready to play the game on a level that, that's going to be able to win that one. So, right. I don't know. Not, not a pretty showing from NC state, but, and, and I would say, you know, of, of all the teams, you know, in the, in the conference, I mean, this is one of the semi disasters, but Kentucky's not bad. I don't know. It wasn't great though. Um, so anyways, Kentucky, a game that NC State should have won. And I would think so. I think so, for sure. Uh, Kentucky 23, NC State 21. Last one, Mike, the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, Wisconsin 42, Wake Forest 28. This was this was a weird game, first off. Um, Wake Forest goes up 14 to nothing. Then the game's tied at 14 at halftime. And then Wake Forest goes up 21-14. And then Sam Hartman throws four picks in the third quarter. Like, what what on earth ha- what has gotten into Sam Hartman these last couple games that he went like seven games through one interception the entire season and then all of a sudden he's thrown seven interceptions in two games? What the hell? Well, yeah, what the hell is right? I mean, <laughs> Sam Hartman lost him the football game. Yeah, and largely he got benched. Yeah, I mean, I don't like putting it on one guy, but I mean, it's you can't turn guy. the ball over four times. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't know. Like, this wasn't a game where, you know, Wake Forest was going to have a, a ton of success running the football, and they, they didn't really. I mean, Christian Beal Smith, 21 carries for 82 yards, was pretty much held in check, and he was basically it, running the football. Kenneth Walker opted out of this game, so he wasn't playing. 
So this was going to be a Sam Hartman or bust type of game for them offensively, which, you know what, against this Wisconsin defense and the way they've played for most of this year probably wasn't that big of a deal. It was like, all right, well, we're going to have to throw the ball a little bit, but it shouldn't be like that big of an issue. You but, realize that Wake Forest like doubled up Wisconsin in yardage in this game? Like, like yeah, they moved the ball perfectly fine. They just gave it away a bunch in the third quarter and let the game get away from them. Like yeah, it really got away from them. Really, really got away from them. Um, yeah, I mean, Wake Forest had 518 yards of offense and lost by two touchdowns. Outgained him by like almost 250 yards. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't even know. It was it was 252. Goodness gracious. Yeah, they outgained him by 252 yards. Wisconsin goes three of 11 on third down. Um, they only had 122 yards rushing. They had six penalties for 39 yards. And Wisconsin actually they. <laughs> They outpossessed Wake Forest and had like half of the yards. Uh, just a really weird backwards game that really the only thing you can just sit there and point to is the fact that Sam Hartman threw four picks in the third quarter. I mean, Wake Forest's second half drive chart. <laughs> Keep in mind, they had the ball one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times, and they never punted. And they, they, they scored a grand total of 14 points. Yikes. Touchdown, turnover on downs, interception, 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 turnover on downs, touchdown. Like, literally, you, th- you threw four interceptions in, in consecutive drives, and, I mean, that's when you got down 35-21 somehow. And, again, it's not like Wisconsin was really moving the ball. Like, Wisconsin scored touchdowns off those interceptions on drives of 32 and 2 yards. Like, yep. it was a weird game. It was so weird, and – like Sam Hartman just needs to be better. But I mean, how often are you throwing interceptions on four consecutive drives too? Like there was some weird stuff, like weird non-repeatable stuff that was happening too. Yeah. Um, oh, just a weird game. And also real quick on, on the Wisconsin side, I know we're an ACC football podcast, but you and I just like college football as a whole. So I, I want to talk real quick about Graham Mertz at Wisconsin. So Graham Mertz is a guy, and we talked about this in the preview that, was seen as a Heisman candidate when he came out in Wisconsin's opener against Illinois and threw, I think it was six touch, five or six touchdown passes and one in completion. He was only 11 of 17 in this game for 130 yards and a touchdown. So I think the shine has been worn off a little bit on Graham Mertz, even though he's might be the highest. I, I think he actually is the highest ranked recruit at quarterback that Wisconsin's ever had. And maybe he develops and, and becomes that guy, but I don't think it's, I don't think we're quite ready for that coronation yet. If you're a Wisconsin fan, I think he's got a little bit of work to do in the offseason. Yeah, this was like, you know, again, from a stats perspective, this was like the best game that he's played since that, that opening night game against Illinois. 11 to 17 for 130 and a touchdown. Like, that's that's pretty pedestrian. Like, it's, it's yeah. not bad, but it's not like anything special. Yeah, he looked like a senior in the opener and then looked like a freshman in the rest of the games, basically. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah, weird game. Uh, Wake Forest probably largely outplayed Wisconsin, but yeah, things just completely got away from the Deeks there in the third quarter. Um, Michael Kern, of course, with a, a classic two of eight for sixty-one yards stat line. Love that he came in in relief for Sam Hartman. Then Mitch Griffiths comes in in relief, two for seven for twenty-eight yards. I mean, I guess that's just the Wake Forest offense at some point is you're throwing the ball down the field a whole bunch. Um, Jaquan yep. Robertson had a really good game. Need to call that out by the way. Eight catches for yeah. one hundred thirty-one and three scores. He was he was really the the brightest spot for Wake Forest. I felt like in this game. 
Yeah, and you know he had the three touchdowns. Donovan Green had six catches for 122, and Taylor Morin had five for 91. So, you know, Wake Forest again moved the ball well through the air when Hartman wasn't throwing interceptions. Quarry Robertson, obviously with the with the touchdowns, just he was fantastic and kind of stole the show. But Wake Forest's entire receiving core was really good in this game, and this just was a matter of Hartman throwing too many interceptions in the second half. Yeah, really is. There's not really a whole lot more to it. So. Uh, Wisconsin 42, Wake Forest 28. Uh, Mike, anything else on these games? I don't think so. Again, you know, ACC goes winless in bowl play here. But game by game, again, like a little disappointed with Wake Forest with how they played in the third quarter. A little bit disappointed with North Carolina in the fourth quarter. Uh, Pretty disappointed by NC State overall, like start to finish. Outside of that, like Notre Dame, I mean, looked Whatever. pretty respectable, like did what we thought they'd do. Clemson, Clemson's the one, right? Yeah. And when you have your, your bell cow, so to speak, in the ACC, get run off the field by a team that really hadn't looked all that good this year um, in Ohio State, of course, had the talent, but just didn't look to the level that they looked um, in that Sugar Bowl. It's disappointing end to the season for Dabo Swinney and Clemson. It's a disappointing end to the ACC season as well. Favored by a touchdown, lose by three touchdowns. Not exactly, yeah, three three touchdowns. Not exactly how you drew it up. Not at all. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, a couple of fairly big disappointments in kind of some different magnitudes on different stages. But otherwise, I mean, again, I felt like Miami pretty acquitted themselves pretty well. I felt like North Carolina acquitted themselves pretty well. Uh, Notre Dame felt like they acquitted themselves pretty well, even though they're not really a true ACC team. You know, so it's not all as terrible as maybe it sounds or looks, but, um, you know, definitely a little bit disappointing that uh, they didn't get a single win and uh, don't have a single team in the national title game. So, yeah, um, fair to be disappointed. Yeah, Yeah, it didn't necessarily go as planned for the conference, but I don't think it's necessarily the biggest deal in the world either. Right, for sure. Uh, Mike, we're going to work on getting out of here, but before we do, we wanted to talk just briefly kind of about what comes next. So at this point, the season's over. There are no more games to talk about. Um, there is one more college football game to talk about. There's a national championship game coming up here again. It's Alabama and Ohio state. Um, you and I, again, as college football fans have some thoughts on that game. We're not going to go too far in depth on it. I mean, obviously we haven't watched Alabama and Ohio state as closely as we've watched Clemson and Notre Dame this year. So it, it won't be like a real full-on deep-dive preview, I would say, but we are going to come back and preview that game. And just to try to you know, add some additional content in there, we do want to try to do a mailbag episode with that. Um, so uh, we need some people to send in some questions. We got some really good emails here in the last couple of days from Mr. Keith Derrick. Uh, thanks to him for sending in. He had some thoughts on kind of what we had discussed on the preview about Clemson and their standing in the ACC and whether it was good for, for the league and good for our, our enjoyment personally. Um, so I appreciate that email as well as uh, reaching out after the, uh, after the festivities were over last night and pointing out again, the league went 0 and six in bowl games. So, right. um, you know, if you guys have questions, things that you want us to discuss, just anything that's on your mind about a particular team, about the conference as a whole, whatever it would be, uh, go ahead and send it over to us. Again, longest email address, no demand, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Or, you know, Twitter or on Instagram, you know, whatever you want to do to send it over. Um, we, we'd love to have questions from you guys so that we can help kind of fill up that national preview, national championship preview uh, show. Um, so do that. 
Mike, we've also talked about doing kind of just a, a general year in review. Um, again, kind of just looking at the conference as a whole and picking out a couple of teams that were impressive or disappointing. Uh, looking back at our picks and where we were correct and where we were wrong. Um, so I think we'll be doing that here in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, we're probably going to try to get some guests on to review some individual teams and talk through them and their performances. So all I'm saying is keep it tuned here. Just because the season's over, the uh, the content still rolls here. Yeah, and we have a bit more, I hate saying this because it, it's really not necessarily true, but I feel like we have a little bit more certainty than we did last offseason, hopefully. A little bit, yeah, I think so. I mean, there, there should be plenty of continuity with you know personnel and coaches and such moving into next year, so there's that. Yeah, yeah, and just overall, from a health standpoint, I think we'll, we should have college football next fall, like without... Yeah without necessarily a hitch. Um, so, you know, knock on wood and fingers crossed for that. But mm-hmm. hopefully we have some sort of spring practice content. I know that's a bit more up in the air, but we're hoping that we have some of that and we get some clarity about some programs in transition because there are certainly some programs with a lot of question marks and coaches on the hot seat and that sort of thing. So uh, my Hokies are one of those schools. So I would love to... <laughs> see them have spring practice for obvious reasons Mm -hmm. uh so there are some teams that we're going to want to talk about so yeah keep it tuned here also i think we'll do a bit better job of getting some content out in the off season just because there will be more to talk about it'll be a much more normal off season we're hoping and praying so yep keep it locked here absolutely absolutely and thank you guys once again for your support all through this year um, it, it has been great having listeners and, and folks that uh, interact with us on Twitter and, and all those things. It's kind of what makes it fun for us and, and worth it for us. So uh, thank you to the listeners. And, and uh, you know, always, as always, send in your suggestions or if you've got feedback for us. You know, we've we've gotten notes from folks before and uh, we, we're certainly appreciative of those, you know, whether they're all totally positive or, you know, somewhat, we'll say constructive. That's yes. the, uh, the good uh, business speak word for it, right, Mike? Yeah, that's correct. Like, for example, the hosts are void of professionalism. Yes. Yeah. yeah, That's good constructive feedback. Guilty as charged, baby. (laughs) All right, Mike. Uh, This has gone on for quite a while. You want to work on getting out of here? Yep. All right. Once again, send your stuff to us. Come find us. uh, Interact with us. Tell us what you think. We're on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT. And together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, we're at BC Podcast ACC on Instagram. Uh, you can send us your questions, comments, concerns, stuff for the mailbag coming up to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And Mike, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code GOACC at checkout. 20% off your first order. It helps us a lot. It helps our buddies at Home Field Apparel a lot. We got a really nice partnership with them. We'd like to keep it going, so make sure you use that promo code. Hell yeah. Please do that. Please do that. Uh, Mike, I think that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? Uh, no, I think that's it. On to a national title preview and some mailbag questions. So, yeah, send in the questions again. Absolutely. Email, Twitter, DM, whatever. Just send them over. Yep. We'll put out a call, too, on on Twitter and on Instagram and such here in the next few days. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Yep. Uh, Mike, it's been fun. Another season in the books. Uh, We will come back, do some more of that stuff, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yep. Sounds good, buddy. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for a great year. 
We will talk to you guys again soon. And until then, go ACC. healthy January which is kind of like sober January it might be like completely sober we'll see nice good for you um I had some tea I'm eating Mike and Ike's that's like half healthy that's good and green tea oh that's even more healthy there you go good yeah I'm eating Mike and Ike's 